What's up, Dragonfly Nation? It's Chris Gilmore here from chrisoutdoors.ca and episode 34 of the Canadian Bushcraft Podcast, where we dive deep into the world of tracking and awareness. Some people think of bushcraft as a hobby from the past, but to me, it's a lifestyle and the skills and knowledge are as valuable and as relevant as ever as we navigate this crazy world that we live in. A foundational and often underestimated part of bushcraft and survival is being able to read the landscape and interpret the story being told in nature's tracks, signs, and sounds. Whether that's interpreting the weather based on the clouds or the activity of the birds and insects to know a storm's coming in, or being able to look at a string of tracks or a sign and tell the elaborate story of what happened there. Or it could be reading the landscape to know where to find a certain plant or a tree species that you need for a project or even for survival. So if you're interested in building your confidence, growing your self-reliance, or deepening your knowledge of nature and your connection to the land, Canadian Bushcraft and I may have a great next step for you. It's a training that we call Reading Nature's Forgotten Language, and it's all about helping you deepen your ability to interpret nature's story. We're offering Dragonfly Nation 20% off this training, so if you want to check it out, you can go watch the trailer as well as a few clips from inside the course at www.naturesforgottenlanguage.com. Again, go visit www.naturesforgottenlanguage.com and if you want to join us, enter coupon code DRAGONFLY for 20% off. Being able to read nature's forgotten language will increase your confidence, skills, and it's straight up a ton of fun. To know the landscape is to open up a door To feel deeper connected than you've ever felt before We know that you will love this podcast so shut your mouth and listen to canadian bushcraft hello dragonfly nation this is the canadian bushcraft podcast with your host caleb musgrave and i've got two awesome guests mickey satira slowly not becoming a guest anymore you're just becoming like another co-host but uh, we got Nikki here, and we also have, of course, Rye, the adventure guy. We have him here for one specific reason. He's pretty. But beyond that, beyond that, we got Rye here because he'll be talking to us about a very cool subject, and that is leadership. And this is actually going to be a, a multi-part series we're going to be going over. This one is about the introduction to what leadership is, how can we perceive good leadership what is to be expected in a leader and what we can do to become better leaders so rye how you doing buddy oh i'm doing okay how are you doing not too shabby i'm just gonna open my bottle of fizzy water oh it didn't fizz all right anyways we didn't get that asmr right (laughs) so ryan what would you like to talk about in the realm of leadership with us today? Well, I think like you said, we'll start with the introduction to adventure leadership because no matter what, if you're going out for work, if you're going out just with your family or with some friends, there's always going to be some sense of leadership wherever you put a group of people together. So it always helps to have a well-rounded understanding of what goes into leadership because sometimes it's just a game of craps and everybody's just throwing, okay, now I'm talking, now you're talking. And 
it always helps to have a stable authority figure in a sense, especially when you're going in outdoors, there's so much more risk. There's leaders in real life and work and teams and all that. But when you're in the outdoors, you need to have a game plan, no matter what your goals for that trip are. Totally. So I'm going to talk about the styles of leadership and when you would employ each of them. I'm going to talk about things like soft skills and hard skills, leadership styles, a little bit of risk management and how to choose a leadership style for each setting sort of thing. Awesome. So let's get into it. Yeah, there's a lot to go over, but I'm going to try to make it as concise as possible just to give everybody a tip about how to become a better leader and how to work better and influence people in a group setting. So, excellent. So, there's like I said, there's people who have done it just oh, you're going out with your buddies or something like that. But there's normally some element of leadership, whether you're trying to delegate who's getting what, who's in charge of what, you're planning your trip, you're trying to get your food, your equipment, set your route together, right? So so like an example for that would be like when we were doing our canoe trip back in August. Yeah. Like Kale's bringing the water filter. Rye's got the stove. Radix got X item. Kale's got the first aid. Make sure you have that stuff. Who's going to be getting firewood today? Yeah. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because no matter what, you're going to need some sense of formality and getting everybody on the same page. And it usually helps. Sometimes you get everyone on board or else sometimes you have the one go-getter who just kind of takes the role over themselves. Right. And it depends on the skill level of everyone like I'm going to talk about here. So, and then especially if you're doing it for work, there's a lot of other factors in line like risk management, having to deal with litigation and the law. Liability liability that sort of thing so there's many instances where this can come into play so i'll give you guys an overview of what to do and when to do it and all that stuff so to start what do you guys think makes a good leader nikki someone who can make decisions right and it sticks to them. Someone who can see the big picture. Someone who can guide without being, um, you know, Dictated. leading by a hammer. Yeah. <laughs> With an iron fist. And someone who's fair. Nice. That's good. It's good. For me, I like to see in leaders someone that already knows that subject. So if it's something like, we got to get firewood. The person that doesn't know how to use an ax shouldn't be the one going out to swing it kind of thing. And like being able to see the strengths and weaknesses of the people in the party and being able to use those strengths and weaknesses to make the party stronger, healthier, et cetera. So those are, and also like, not I'm trying to think of the word, um, motivating. They're, they're someone that doesn't just be like, Hey guys, so we need to get some firewood today. It's like, hey, we need some firewood. Uh, who wants to help me out figure that out? Mm-hmm. Like someone that can get somebody wanting to work on it something. Yeah, exactly. 
Yeah, competence plays a large role in it. You want someone who knows what they're doing with the skills and also the influence side of things. You want someone who's able to influence a group, inspire optimism, who wants to keep the task at hand in line with the goals of the trip. You don't want to be stepped over, but these things all come in different waves. There's always a different situation for a different style of leadership. But mostly it comes down to a few things. There's task behavior and there's relationship behavior. So that kind of leads in line with what you guys just said. There's the task at hand, you're instructing, you're setting goals, you're directing, you're telling, and you're managing the group. Relationship behavior is providing feedback on that, facilitating, defining the boundaries of the trip, as well as supporting and educating. So that's what it kind of comes down to with your goals of the trip. And those quickly relate to hard skills and soft skills. Your hard skills being your competencies, your learned abilities acquired and enhanced through practice, your repetition and your education. And your soft skills are your character traits, interpersonal skills, and skills that characterize a person's relationship with others. So there's always, always needs to be a good balance of both. Mm-hmm. You might have someone in the group that's amazing at all the hard skills, who's great at canoeing, who's great at swinging an axe, who's great at cooking, who's great at setting up tents. But then as a leader, that's a good person to have as a participant on the trip. But you don't want to be too heavy handed on that one side, because then you want to have the soft skills too to be able to influence people who's able to know when to come on strong and knows when to take a step back and really let people do their thing. You don't want to be too hard handed. Like Nikki said, you don't want to lead with a hammer certain situations you need to it comes out if you're in the military (laughs) it depends what the risks are involved what the styles are involved leading someone into battle is a lot different than leading someone onto a nature walk (laughs) or through a leadership camp sort of setting and my background with this sort of is i've done the courses in school for outdoor leadership i've worked at tim horton's memorial camp that was based around instilling leadership qualities in kids and teaching them about these sort of things. So I've seen multiple different settings. And like you said, when we went on our canoe trip and we were kind of all really confident in what we had to do. So we really just shared the responsibilities and none of us were the typical leader role sort of thing. So So yeah, you got your task behavior, which is your hard skills, pretty much your relationship behavior, which relates to your soft skills. So it's all about getting on the the goals, as well as forming relationships with the people around you and having them want to follow you and inspire optimism. So the leadership styles now, it starts off, there's autocratic, authoritative, democratic, and laissez-faire. 
So to start off with autocratic, that is like in politics, it's a do as I say, I'm the leader, I'm the skilled one. The people in the group don't have a lot of experience doing that. So they really need someone who's going to take control of the group and be firm with their decision-making. All the decisions will be made by themselves and they will just let the group know at a later time. And this typically works better with little kids. If you have a group of kindergartners where you will, as they grow, you can start to open them up and some more of the decision-making process and get into more of a democratic thing. And it depends too, if you're just talking about, hey, what do you guys wanna to do today? What do you guys wanna work on? Then you can leave that open sometimes. Like you just like spitball it, but you kind of lead them towards it. But for the most part, you wanna be in control. You wanna be in control for risk management purposes, as well as just leading yourself through that course outline that you're trying to do. So that's autocratic. That's the authoritarian. Right. And for the benefit of the people, like when I think about kids and that kind of leadership, kids need boundaries and they yeah. need, they need firm boundaries a lot yeah. of times. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean when it comes down to the risk management of it and then learning where they can go and where they can't go near sort of thing. Yeah, you need to have some, and that's little kids too, and they need guidance, they need leadership. You can't just be like, hey guys, it's all up to you today. Let's do this. So, and there's like, so yeah, you're telling them what, that. yeah, it's, and this is what we'll talk about here is just, it's not always a dead set thing, but yeah, autocratics, you're telling people, you're directing, and you're structuring it. And it's known as a high task, high relationship behavior. So you're on those tasks, as well as trying to get the relationship side, because all of you guys know, working with kids, you need to have a good relationship with them, or else they're not going to listen to a word you're saying. Exactly. So this... The second one is authoritative and, or a paternal kind of approach to things. You make decisions and then sell it to the group. You're no longer saying it's my way or the highway. This is what we're doing. You're making the decisions and you're like trying to pump them up about your decisions that you've made. So you lead by example in this situation and try to inspire people. Okay, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. You know, kind of works up to people who aren't quite completely beginner stage, but have a little experience. But yeah, you're selling the options, you're coaching, and you're resolving. And this is a high task, low relationship sort of right. thing. You're, it's a little bit of tough love at certain situations. So then there's democratic so that's when you're starting to get more up there in your experience level the leader has still has the most experience but you can trust the people in the group with a little more options you don't just necessarily go into your tent decide what you're doing for the day and then just go off and like, okay yep this is what we're doing take it or leave it right. you're setting the options you're identifying the boundaries still you're brainstorming with the crew and then you kind of lead it to a vote the democratic way you're participating you're supporting and collaborating so 
yeah, this this works well when you get kids preteens, and then this even works with adults too. Mm -hmm. That might be a beginner course, and you want to help them lead their own experience. They're no longer in need of being told what to do all the time. So you want to let them have a bit of a say in their journey. So totally, I've had experiences with like both directions with adults. Um, we ran courses and we're like, okay, these people should know everything they need to know. We're just going to be teaching them some simple skills and they have a lot of free time. And in some situations, that's great. Like they really shine in that. And I've had other groups that have criticized us and been like, you should have been telling us what to do the whole time. Okay. Yeah. So you kind of, with adults and those older teens, you kind of have to gauge the group and figure out like, what are they looking for in a leader? or what they're doing well that's in my experience that's the difficulty i've found with mixed groups yeah where you have some people who are complete beginners you have some people that are middle of the road they've already taken the beginner course they've started to work their way up towards it and then you have the hot shots who are like i should be leading this trip myself <laughs> like why are yeah. you in charge they're questioning your authority in the situation mm -hmm. so it's always fluctuating it's always a difficult thing trying to get a read of the group to yeah. know exactly how and then sometimes you have to lead certain people in different ways but right. the last style is laissez-faire or an abdocratic aka giving your power away this works well when you have a group who's really experienced everyone's they're at a higher level certification course they're a bunch of adults who typically do this all the time so that's where the participants are knowledge skilled they set their own boundaries make their own decisions they police themselves for the most part and you just front load all the rules and let them do their thing afterwards so the the situation i found this works best is when i'm working with like college students mm -hmm. in outdoor ed where they're training to become leaders so you want them to be practicing making these decisions and you don't necessarily need to hold their hand the whole way so right. they and then allow them to take the leadership roles by themselves they can get a duty roster together on a trip and decide between themselves who's going to be cooking this day who's going to be cleaning this day who's going to be collecting water all that stuff so that's exactly like what we were doing on our trip with me and Radic, we were just right. all deciding ourselves, not one typical leader. We just left our own devices. So, so yeah, you're just delegating the tasks. You're validating their stuff. You're stepping in when you're needing to, to provide that leadership sense. But for the most part, you're allowing them to control their own stuff and hope it doesn't devolve into a lord of the flies situation <laughs> and that's where the competence comes into play is you're hoping by this time they can take control themselves and picking a style isn't going to be something you're able to do within the first second you can't read on paper oh yeah this person says they have such and such experience all that stuff you have to wait and see as it evolves right and this and the different leadership styles may vary with components like risk management, the motivation of the participants on the group, or the trip situations and activities. 
So risk management wise, I've worked for some companies who they have their set guidelines and rules. Mm -hmm. They tell you how they want it to go down. So you might not necessarily be able to give the full laissez-faire experience for right. those groups. So per se, I've taken my wilderness first responder training, have that certification. So I've been trained to do traction in line with injuries and reset separated shoulders and separated fingers dislocations. Mm -hmm. But then also the company that I've worked for is like, no, you can't do any of that. They have their set regulations. You just splint it, immobilize it, and then get them to the closest healthcare without doing that. So right. you can't necessarily just have the full freedom of the decision-making on your own. Sometimes if you're doing it professionally, they'll have some of the decision-making for you. So right. And then even motivation of participants. I've been with some groups before where you have the kids that are really into it. They really want to learn the stuff. They're ready to go. And then you have the other ones who are like, my mom told me I had to come to this. So they, they're like, eh, go off. Even, even adults are like that too. They're like, uh, mm -hmm. I came because I wanted to or else they came because it was just something to do. And it kind of fluctuates even then between the activities that you're doing. You might have someone who really wants to cook, but someone else who's like, I don't want to touch any food or be responsible for any of that. And then with trip situations and activities, sometimes weather comes into play. And even if it's a laissez-faire situation, you have to take control over the group right away. If there's thunder, there's lightning, you go to your protocols. Mm -hmm you bunker down, do your thing. You're in control again for then. But so you don't want to always just leave it up to them, even if the other things are up to them. Right. You still got to provide your leadership role in that situation and oversee and direct as necessary. Totally. We had a situation like that years back. Uh, we were running a tracking program and one of the tracks that the we had an instructor come in to teach the tracking. I wasn't even teaching. I was just there to help facilitate. And uh, there's a set of tracks going right up a sheer hill that was like a 70, 80 degree incline and there was snow and ice. And he's like, oh yeah, look at these tracks. Like this is, this is gonna be really interesting what's going on up there. And a bunch of the students were like, yeah, let's just go climb up that hill. I'm like, hey, how about no? <laughs> there's a lot of risk going on going up that hill. If we just go half a kilometer down, there's a ledge that goes up like a ramp and we can walk up that very safely, better incline. And they're like, Oh man, like I, I really think we should just go up that part of the hill. And they tried to like um, almost like mutiny in a sense, like we're going to go up that hill. I was like, okay, this is my company. This is my course that I organized. You are not going up that hill that way. We're going to go further down here, take the longer route. And sure enough, the instructor was like, well, I'll go up the hill and I'll meet you up there. And when we got up there, we were about five minutes behind him. We get there and he's like panting, snow all over him. He's like, I am so glad you didn't send those students up that hill. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It gets different when you have too many chefs in the kitchen sometimes. And you have a different amount of leaders. So I find twos my good maximum for leaders. You have two people that can bounce ideas off each other, but any more than that, it just feels like it's crowded. 
yep. the decision making starts to get muddled. You get people with different influences wanting to do different things, and you're kind of stepping on each other's toes because at that point, someone's going to be like, "No, we should have done this a completely different way." Totally, so, it become almost like broken telephone too. Like I heard from mm-hmm. this person, we should do it this way. Yeah. Exactly. That's why even then having a designated trip leader and an assistant lead is usually a good route to go. Or else if you're really familiar with each other and really comfortable with each other, then you can really share those responsibilities together. So it's all a matter of having that chemistry and being able to work together in those situations. And then even then, like you said, with having like this is my company this is my rules it really helps to front load those expectations on a trip mm-hmm. if you're leading a high school group of students you kind of tell them up front about your alcohol and drug policies doing all stuff and you really keep a strong hand on that and allow them to take care of that later you Sometimes you have to go a little overhanded in those situations, especially when you're working with a school environment. And sometimes it helps to just be autocratic with your rules and be like, this is the way it's going. Even before you get out there, letting them know if one person's caught with it, you're all going home. Mm -hmm. There's no other thing because then they tend to be like, oh crap, someone else can mess it up for me. And they're no longer just don't ask, don't tell policy there. Being like, no policing don't don't do this they're all grouped together and saying i don't want you ruining my trip sort of thing right so yeah it's always it's always tough but it's like a muscle leadership you always got to work on it get it stronger some people are said to be natural born leaders but at the same time there's always stuff people can work on that's mostly based off their influence and how well they're able to give public speaking talks to people right. and do all that. And it could be looked at as kind of like a talent versus skill thing. Like you can learn to be a good leader and yeah, there's yeah. some that are just naturally inclined, but you can be a good leader if you just practice at it. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Nikki, do you have any experiences with that where the leadership was kind of strained and tested? Oh, I definitely do. <laughs> do tell. So I, I I mean it's a very long story, but a very quick piece of it was just like, I mean, you were talking about too many cooks, and there was this one canoe trip I went on where it was all outdoor educators together. Yeah. Oh goody. And that's when I got airlifted because I had a medical incident and literally, well, I was the only person not in a leadership role because they were like, no, (laughs) you're hurt. But the amount of like too many cooks in the kitchen caused this like kerfuffle where all this crazy miscommunication happened and things got more and more messed up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I love it. Yeah, because even in those situations working with students, it kind of helps to delegate a leader for the day, especially when everyone's training. If it's a college group, if it's a work group, it's good to have your overall leader of the trip, the one who makes the final say in the situations of risk management and all that. But then you can be like, okay, this person, Nikki's the leader of the day today. She'll be taking care of the navigating and the decision-making for 
delegating group tasks and getting everybody organized and then Caleb's tomorrow. But at any point, if I'm the overall trip leader, I can be like, hold up everyone. I'm back in charge. There's some horrible conditions coming up and I really need to be in charge at this moment. Right. And that's when you can go from the laissez-faire to an autocratic situation. So it's never, you don't just set, okay, this group, I'm going to be a completely in control autocratic leader and nothing else. You've got to be able to fluctuate through the levels. And it also goes along with the stages of group development because it's different when you have a group of people who are comfortable with each other and they've been together for years or else in a camp setting where you're getting kids from all over coming together for the first time, they're going to go through these stages of development, which are forming, goes to storming, norming, performing, and adjourning. So okay. the forming is when they all come together, they're all still getting to know each other, and there's no clear-cut group yet. There's still a bunch of strangers who are just meeting for the first time and getting acquainted with each other. So that's when you typically have to be a little autocratic, set out the rules, do your stuff. And then eventually, once people kind of get to know each other, they start to storm a little bit. You might get a couple people in the group that aren't seeing eye to eye. They know right now, like, I don't like this person right now. I have a bad vibe about this person. So that's when I start to butt heads a little bit. And these group stages of development don't necessarily happen in this order but you can sometimes have some storming down the road where eventually things just build up build up build up like a powder keg right and then just explode so it's always that's one thing why it's best as a leader to be flexible and being quick thinking and being able to apply these on the move so then there's the norming after the storming where, okay, now you're starting to get comfortable with each other a little bit. You still might have a bit of that tension, but you're all starting to get in the flow of things as a group. You've maybe got to your third day on a canoe trip out of a week long trip. And now you're finally, everybody's understanding what's ex expected of them. Mm -hmm and they know how they get along. Sometimes you get the cliques break off and the people right. that really get along together go off with each other and just kind of stay away from the other people they've been hurting with. So, and then hopefully after that, you start performing, you're starting to hit your stride as a team and you're really just going, you're no longer the autocratic. You can really start to let them have more of the reins. They're really hitting their peak performance of the trip and that's always the favorite time for any kind of group is when everybody's just hitting it on all cylinders so and that's when you can be a little more democratic and less fair so and even during the storming you want to be a little democratic okay how are we going to resolve this situation what do you guys think you should do and then after that is the adjourning that's when your trip is finally coming to the end that's when you're like, oh, this is really over that last day or two of a trip. It's like, okay, we've made it, hopefully. Right. And then you start to get that realization that you're 
kind of going away. Sometimes feelings might get up. People might be like, oh, I don't want to leave. <laughs> I don't want to go sort of thing. So, and then that's where you kind of really round it out with a little bit of autocratic again. And you do a debrief, you get, okay, what did we learn this trip and all that. So, and that's part of it too, is doing a briefing at the start debriefs at the end really lay out your expectations during that briefing you can do something what's called a full value contract where you have a team meeting you bring everyone together and you talk about what do we want to see on this trip and what do we not want to see on this trip and that's how you really you get it down on paper you get everyone to sign it so then everybody really knows what's expected of them on that trip. You don't have any, like, I didn't know I couldn't do that. <laughs> so like, typically the camp group ones and nature school stuff is like, okay, we're not going to have any bullying. We're not going to pick on each other. And we're not going to have a, an us versus them sort of mentality on this trip. And that really helps create those expectations for when complications do arise on the trip. So and that really helps too, especially in those early stages with the autocratic style, with a younger group who really needs that leadership and the expectations firmly put out in front of them. So they're not just like, am I allowed to do this? Am I not? Some things are a little more common sense, but at the same time, as a kid, you're growing and you're learning what common sense is really. You might be raised one way, but not understand what the expectations of society are so and you really need the help in those situations so knowing all that knowing to choose a leadership style comes next and being able to be flexible it really helps to know yourself be aware of your dominant styles which ones you prefer to be you get those people who are like the army general at all times they really prefer the autocratic. Mm -hmm. They might have a big ego and be like, it's my way. I know more than you. You're a bunch of newbies. You don't know what you're doing. Or else you might be the kindergarten teacher who's all like, I would just how I'll have fun, guys. Let's sing kumbaya in a circle. And while all those are great in certain situations, you don't necessarily want to be that all the time, depending on right. the group you're working with. You got to be able to fluctuate through it. So be aware of your dominant style, know your strengths, but also develop your weaknesses, know when to say no, and also know when to relax and let people do their thing and not always be on their case. Don't bring your own personal biases into the situation. So, and it's always a difficult one to go with that. That goes with working on that muscle and be able to go through it. And there's always a lot of stuff that can come up. People don't either trust you or believe you and all that stuff. So yeah, it's always difficult to be able to work through all that. Nice. So then there's also knowing your crew. You know, you need things like age, skill level, personality traits, group development stages, and individual motivations and goals like we talked about before. And I think it really helps to have a few days, especially when working with a new group, to be able to work out those things and get a good read. It's never good to go off your first impressions 
don't just be standing around that opening fire circle and just eyeing everyone down and being like, okay, this guy's going to be the hot shot. Oh, this person has no idea what they're talking about. They're so pipsqueaky and small. They're never going to be able to lift a canoe or anything like that. So try not to bring your own thought process into that and your internal biases. Do you guys have any experience with stuff like that? Yeah. Yeah. There's a few situations I've seen where I was uh, not the leader in that situation. And I got to sit back and kind of see dynamics happening in ways that were conflicting and then balancing themselves back out. Um, when I was working in Wyoming, we had, I was like, the, the, the nickname was like Secundo. I was like second in command. Um, but it wasn't really a job. It wasn't really an actual genuine position for the trip, for the, for the, the gig we were doing. Yeah. Uh, it was the boss and we followed him to a T. We did exactly what he said. This is the job we're on. But as the group worked together for like three, four months, we became a unit. We became a crew, like a family. And it became a little bit more laissez-faire. Yeah. A little bit more. There was democratic aspects, but most of the time it was like we expected everyone to know what they could do. And as, as we went along, it got easier that way. But then we also fell into that kind of trap of like, oh, we can just do what we want. We can screw around and do what we need to get done. And we got really behind on the job. We got really behind on what our tasks were. And the boss basically had to revert like immediately back to being the authoritarian or autocratic leader. Yeah. And it was messy. It was, he was very frustrated, very angry uh, because he was like, okay, I trusted these guys for three, four months. And I was trying to keep everything together, but it wasn't my job to boss everybody around. I was at the same level as everyone else. And so it was very messy that one week of that whole job where the boss was like, no, you guys are fucked up. You guys have really screwed up and screwed the pooch and left us in a lurch and you should have known better. It's like, okay, well, you should have given us those rules. You should have set those benchmarks of what need to be accomplished. It should have been made very clear what needed to be done. The, the biggest part of that was, we had assumed that since he was the one always using a specific type of navigation tool, the, the Trimble system, that we could just expect him to do it because he never handed it over to anybody else to do it. Mm. And then he expected us to be able to handle it. We went out and we did like a two-hour uh, survey and we're using this thing and it's not doing what it's supposed to do. And so we kept going back to him expecting him to be the authority and tell us how to fix this problem while he's like i'm trying to do my own thing i'm trying to get my own job over here done like figure it out not my problem figure it out and that's where the it kind of collapses leadership on that trip mm -hmm. yeah this where yeah it really helps to lay out the expectations even if you're on the laissez-faire style have a early briefing of the day let them know what the expectations are going to be for the day and to be like okay from here on now you'll get to be able to lead again 
but at least knowing that and knowing when to step in and be like, okay, we're not performing up to expectations. Let's recalibrate. Let's get to where we need to get to and then move on from there. So yeah, there's no moment, especially as a professional leader that you can go fully laissez-faire and then just leave them as Lord of the Flies and forget about it. So you've always got to keep a clear expectation list of what to do. You have anything to add, Nikki? Or I'm not sure I understood the question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just saying any moments where you've run into these issues of having to be on the fly and dealing with certain conflicts within a group especially as a leader yourself any problems you've had none that i can think of up off the top of my head but i'm sure there's been tons <laughs> <laughs> very true mm -hmm. and this is why it helps to know the un and understand the styles of leadership to know when to move back and forth between everything and not just rely on your one strength. And then when problems arise, just being uh, like a deer cotton headlights, you gotta be able to think quick and move on your feet. So you gotta get familiar with the repertoire of leadership styles. You gotta know when each style would work for any given situation and which skills do you need to develop of those. So like I said, sometimes you're a big softy or else you're a hard ass. So you got to know when to employ those styles. And it takes a lot of practice. You can learn about this all you want, but until you actually put it into a real life situation, that's where you'll start to know when to be flexible and how to really go with the flow mm -hmm. and work on those styles and practice yeah it's one thing to read it out of a book it's one thing to actually put it in development when you have children or adults because believe it or not even though the adults are known as the much more mature of the two we've seen before how adults can turn really quick into lord of the flies more than the kids so yeah so when especially when you have those internal biases set within you when you have a bit of an ego problem or else they might have a confidence problem they might not think they're any good at anything and they don't want to try at anything because of that so it's all about bringing out the best in everyone in a leadership situation and that's the biggest thing is using people to their skills and their strengths but as well as helping them develop those skills and that's where the soft skills and hard skills come in. You want to be able to relate to them. You want to be able to influence them in those ways. And you got to be agile the whole way. So, yeah, it's, it's difficult, but the more you do it, the better you get. So the leadership skills kind of tie into this. There's influence, how well you inspire. Do you convey a sense of optimism, which is a big thing? in outdoor trips you don't want to be the first one to panic and you're showing everybody else on the trip that oh no we're all going down this is no 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 and then just going catatonic and rocking back and forth in the fetal position 
that's not what you want to see out of a leader. And that was like, what inspired me to talk about this was going through my whole Shackleton kind of thing. And I'll, I have some list of things later on in this where we can talk about some ways to develop your skills and how it helps to be optimistic and know when to be on your hard skills, when to be soft and all that. So public speaking is a big one with that because some people are not comfortable speaking in front of groups and going out on that ledge, being assertive. So it's, it's difficult. That's why I need to practice on it. Even now I find myself doing these podcasts. At first I was like, oh, we're going to be talking on podcasts. There's going to be people listening to me all over the place. And I'm going to be talking for hours on end. You're being listened to in Sweden, South Africa, New Zealand. Oh, yeah. People here. Probably all the countries. Pretty much every country. Pretty much every country. Even now, the more I've done this, the more comfortable I feel talking about it. So, and I'm still working on that. I see TED Talks all the time and I'm like, how do they do that? How do they stand up in front of an auditorium of people without their notes in their hand? They're just wandering back and forth, speaking so eloquently and knowing exactly what to say and keeping the train of thought. So, yeah, that's always a challenge. I was in that boat when I was in like high school and even in my early 20s running Canadian Bushcraft. I was always the guy who would rather be like behind my notepad talking to my notes. And I'd, I'd see people do like public speaking. It's like, what in the hell did you do to become that? Yeah. And now I can do it practically any situation. <laughs> I turn into a freaking public speaker almost anytime we have a hangout. I just start, like, just start talking like I'm doing a TED talk, yeah. <laughs> ranting. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, I'm over here and like, this is what I sought out from the time I came out of my mother's womb. Like, just want to be in the spotlight and just talk to people and teach and (laughs) be friendly. Yep. So I got to learn how to do the the background stuff. (laughs) Is that why you're not talking much tonight? Yeah. That's a big thing as a leader too, is knowing when to step in and take control and when just to step back and let everybody else have their moment in the spotlight. Even if you feel like, oh God, I don't have much trust in this crew, but at the same time, you got to step back. You got to be that parent who lets their child fly and flourish. You don't always want to be stepping in the way and doing everything for them. So they just get used to being comfortable and in the back. Sometimes you got to let them go out and fly on their own. Let them leave the nest. Don't always coddle and help them. And so, yeah, that's one of the big things. And it takes a lot of awareness, both self-awareness, situational awareness, and risk management awareness. So knowing when you're out of line, if you're... If your emotions are getting the best of you in a certain situation, you got to learn to be in control of yourself. If you want to be able to lead everyone else, you can't just be a wild card that's going off the handle at all times and losing the faith of the group at every left, right. So yeah, this might be, this might be dating me, but I'm picturing Tom Cruise jumping on a couch. (laughs) 
some risky business. Oh no, are you talking? <laughs> I'm talking about he's, uh, Oprah Winfrey. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No one needs that in their leader. Who like ah. Yeah. You want to be cool, calm, and collected, and be able to employ the different styles and skills without people really noticing if you do it. That's what I find to be really good leaders who can effortlessly flow from it without you even noticing who are like the conductor of an orchestra and are able to give the signals and move in and out. So it makes great coaches for sports, any skill, a good coach just seems to do it effortlessly, but it comes from years and years of practice, having those hard skills themselves as a piano teacher, you can have, you can be Beethoven behind the keyboard and know how to play. But if you don't have those soft skills and be able to relay that information and relate to people, then you're not going to really be a good teacher at it. So I like that analogy. Yeah, it goes, yeah, anything. You can be a great paddler and not know how to teach people how to paddle. That was the thing is you, you go in getting all your certifications, but at the same time, you're like, okay, now I need to work on the influence skills. I need to learn how to control a group, how to gain a group's respect easily. It only goes so far being competent in what you do. So, and that's communication being able to effectively convey your thoughts and feelings. Sometimes you got to come down hard and be that asshole pretty much in a situation. It depends on the person you're dealing with. If you've got to really snuff out an issue quick, then sometimes you have to be like, here, this is it. It's done. Tell it like it is. And sometimes you got to just sugarcoat things and ease them into it, depending on, the person so yeah it's always always difficult it takes a lot of practice for that and that comes down to critical thinking as well your ability to think on the fly making sound decisions in stressful situations that's you hear a lot of people say you don't really know what you're made up of until you're doing these things in a stressful situation you can be doing all you want in the comfort of your own home reading about this watching your YouTube videos on this, listening to these podcasts, but you've got to be able to handle it under stress because you see some people who are good, 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 ready to go. And then the moment stress hits, they're in that fetal position, rocking back and forth. So yeah, it's, it's always difficult. And then there's things like behavior, which comes with the awareness as well, controlling your own behavior, and controlling others' behaviors as well. So like we even saw with the Shackleton episode, whenever there's any form of mutiny, you got to squash that quick. <laughs> you don't Control want that. people getting out of hand and thinking they can continue to get out of hand. So, and it's always in different degrees based on your situation. Sometimes it's a kid, but at the same time, you got to have that awareness of them why are they acting up? Why are they doing what they're doing? Especially with kids, they might have some problems at home that you don't know about. They might have something else going on. Like, even with adults, they might have something going on in their life. So I think it comes down to a lot of empathy, especially as a leader, 
understanding where people are coming from, but at the same time, being able to direct them to where they should be or need to be. So, yes. So that goes with goals as well. Setting goals is a big thing with outdoor adventure leadership. I think it really helps. I'm the type of person, sometimes I can go out just for the sake of going out, but sometimes I'm very goal oriented and I want to be like, okay, we're going to climb this peak or we're going to do this expedition. And this is why we're doing this expedition. But some people are going out just for the sake of going out sort of thing. So yeah. it's sometimes the goals clash on a trip. You get some people who want to go and do the fastest trail time on the Appalachian trail. And you have other people who are doing it just for the experience. They're like, and the don't naturalist. exactly. You're stopping your seeing. Oh, there's a cool mushroom. <laughs> I want to check that out. Oh, look at that bird up there. Oh, that's a beautiful bird. Let's just look at it for a bit. Let's sit and watch <laughs> this view. And I think it's good to have a balance of both. Sometimes you don't need to be the one who's like, go, go, go. Because I've been on hikes where you have people who are kilometers out in the front and just going, going, going. They're trying to get it as fast as possible because they feel like they have something to prove to the others. Sometimes it's just like ego. They're like, oh yeah, I'm the best on this trip. So I better be the one out front the whole time and treating it like a race. But sometimes you don't you don't need that. You just want to chill and do your thing. And that's where there's a lot of conflict that sometimes arises in group settings like that. You get the ones who are like, you guys are slowing us down. And you're like, well, you guys are just like dragging us along. We didn't come out here to get the fastest time. We came out here to experience. We came out to connect with nature. So that's where I find a lot of the storming comes from yeah. on trips. Some people feel like they're being dragged down the Burma Trail. Yeah. And others feel like they're having to wait for Granny and Grampy to catch up. Yeah. So, yeah, it's about, first of all, just being in a group that you want to be in. Don't sign up. Sometimes you can't avoid it. You sign up for a trip expecting to go nature for a nature walk and right. do your thing. And sometimes you get the diehards there that are like, why did you guys even join this group if you didn't want to look at everything? So sometimes it's unavoidable, but it's about kind of searching for that group that shares your common goals. Mm -hmm. So, but you got to set your personal goals. You got to set your team goals. You got to set everything and be able to swiftly control those situations. So... And then there's tolerance. Like I said before, sometimes setting the clear expectations of a group with kids, with adults, letting them know what your expectations are of them from the get-go and not when the problem arises, being telling them you weren't supposed to do that. Like, well, nobody told me I wasn't supposed to do that. <laughs> so sometimes you'll have to tell people, okay, on this trip, we're not going to jump off any cliffs or anything like that like well i go out in the nature because i want to jump off cliffs i i'm not going swimming if i'm not going to get to jump off cliffs uh -huh. i want to climb those 80 degree hills and do all that crazy stuff but sometimes it's just not appropriate for the situation mm -hmm. so and you got to stick to your guns a lot of the time you can't be this 
Oh, well, you're pushing back against me. So I'm now I'm going to crumble and just give in to your demands. You've got to be able to push and be like, no, there is no, this is not a debate. This is not a democratic situation. This is autocratic situation where I'm taking control. Like you said, I'm the leader. This is my company. This is what we're doing. So mm-hmm. you got to be able to define your tolerance level and have those clear expectations. And then something that kind of gets thrown to the background a lot is self-care on yeah. trips. Sometimes you've got a lot of stress on you to perform to give that output that's expected of you. Sometimes you get hired by a company and you're really nervous about how they're going to see you. They have high expectations of you. So then you're just pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, pushing it. And you don't take a lot of time to rest for yourself. And you're like, no, I got to keep going. I got to work all night. I got to work all day. I got to get all this done all myself. So you got to take some time for yourself and rest and not just be, because you see that a lot, especially in the business world itself. A lot of people pushing, it's all about chasing that next dollar and they don't take any time for themselves and they end up burning out. So, and it comes down to everywhere, especially in the wilderness. If you're going on canoe trips all day long, you're portaging, you're cooking, you're setting up camp, you're doing all that sort of stuff. You need some time to sit back and smell the roses and just chill out, take care of your mind, maybe do some meditation, maybe bring something of your, your favorite book with you on the trip and be able to have that me time. So, and then it also things like hygiene as well. You want to take care of yourself. You don't want to just become a dirty mess because that's especially a thing too, is how you present yourself to people. If you just have this person who has a rat's nest in their hair, and if you have your, all your clothes are falling apart, you smell horrible so i'm feeling attacked right now no you smell amazing all the time you got that beard oil you smell like bourbon and wood smoke (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm talking about the people who don't believe in bathing (laughs) anti-hygiene people yeah yeah so you gotta be able to present yourself take care of that because that's also part that goes to your mind as well i've seen studies that things like brushing your teeth improve your mindset and your skill there's people like say oh before you go out for a run the brush your teeth and stuff and because the bacteria that's in your mouth and right sometimes you get all that bad stuff in there and it kind of messes with your mind apparently there's been studies done on it so it's man i'm gonna have to look into that I really don't understand how people wake up in the morning and then don't brush their teeth and then sit around all day with the fuzzy mouth yeah. And then I'm like, how, how do you like, it's the first thing I do as, as a person that likes to brush his teeth before he goes to bed. I know I'm supposed to brush it twice a day, but I just prefer to brush <laughs> when I go to bed. I don't know why it's just how I am. But the more I've been looking into this kind of stuff, it's like, Oh, maybe I should be brushing in the morning. I just hate, I don't care how soft the brussel, the brushes bristles are. It just hurts. 
and first thing in the morning, I don't want to feel like I'm dragging steel wool against my gums. Or mm. just to at least brush your tongue, you know, in the morning. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I Listerine in the morning. I rinse my mouth with Listerine. I don't, this is getting weird. <laughs> Let's just move on. <laughs> yeah. Even after a bath or shower, I feel a hundred percent like a new person. I think anyone who's gone on a trip where they haven't showered for a week knows just by the end of it, you're like, Oh God, I feel horrible. Yeah. I feel like I look horrible. And then you have that half hour to an hour long shower we just stand in there and just, oh God, this is, this is it. Yes. And then you get out and you feel refreshed. You feel renewed. So it's good to kind of keep that up for your personal confidence. Totally. We should and do like really... an entire hygiene in the woods episode. I was thinking about that. Yeah. Because there's so many different areas that you can relate that personal hygiene where how to poop in the woods <laughs> how to pee in the woods right how to deal with greasy hair <laughs> how to deal with menstruation yeah exactly <laughs> totally so it all goes into taking care of yourself so you can be the best that you can be sort of thing so yeah that's a big one that a lot of people i've found have had with the outdoor education fields as well as leadership is self-care working nonstop and going mm -hmm. on. So everybody take care of yourselves, take some time for yourself, cuddle up with a book and some candles, some nice scented candles and have some me time, get your bath bomb and hang out in the bathtub and listen to the Canadian bushcraft podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Yeah, so now like, that we've talked to him. Okay. Go oh, ahead. sorry. Like, uh, I was just going to put up like an example, like easy self care in the woods. Like, for me, I choose my hammock for camping specifically because I can be a little bit more secluded. I can be off on my own. I can sit in that and just be kind of like rocked and calmed by the wind and just by the movement of the hammock. That alone, I can do that for like five minutes, two seconds, and then just hop out be like, I feel better now. I can go back to being what I need to be for this trip. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Every little, everybody's got their little luxuries in their pack that make it just that much more of an enjoyable experience for themselves. Cause then if you're sleeping an hour a night and then waking up feeling dead yeah. and you're not going to be a very effective leader <laughs> as it is, you'll have to push that extra, bit just to perform so yeah it's all about working everything out to work for you and that's why on our next trip i'm leaving sushi at the house she's not <laughs> gonna keep us up half the night <laughs> she's not gonna dig a hole under a tree and sleep in there and cry and it's such a weird trip with that dog <laughs> swimming next to the canoe instead Refusing of being in the canoe, in the canoe. <laughs> doesn't like to swim but doesn't want to be in the canoe so she'd just be miserable in the water yeah and that's that's even my next point is organization mm -hmm. having all your ducks in a row because mm -hmm. it's easier to lead when you have a plan when you have everything in place when you're not just winging it when you're like uh what are we doing next you're like no i'm doing this and that comes with experience right you 
learn how you like things to be. And then you're able to be a little more comfortable being flexible in those situations. So you can, if on a well-organized trip, you're able then to take anything that comes at you out of it. Cause then you're prepared for anything, any variables in the situation. Right. So, yeah. And then one of the last things is competence. Never stop working on your skills, test yourself mm -hmm. and don't yeah, become complacent. Don't think just because you took the one act safety course that you're a rock star at act safety, always practice on this stuff, always use it. Mm -hmm. I see so many people, they go and they get their certification and then they're like, okay, I'm, I have no more to learn. There's nothing yeah. else to do. I am God. <laughs> I am amazing. So yeah, just have some self-awareness, like we said before, and know how to bring the best out of yourself and others. So yeah, it's a lot of stuff that goes that into like, leadership skills. In that it's like knowing your limitations for sure. Mm -hmm. Like I've seen people who are really good leaders, but they weren't competent on certain physical skills. And so when they tried to lead on that aspect, things fell apart really quickly. Yeah. And in that situation, they could have easily delegated or, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Abdicated. Like, Hey, I should not be in charge right now. Let's let that person lead. Let's that person do this. Yeah. And it's from a, from, an, I don't want to tokenize too much, but like from a perspective of an indigenous person, like nowadays we have chiefs like chief and councils on first nations communities. Traditionally, the concept of like an Ogama or a chief was more like, hey, John's the person who has the most experience ricing. They should be the person leading us at the rice camp. This person really understands how to boil down the sap and what's going to be needed for sugar bush. They're going to be, and they would be called like ricing chief or sugar bush chief. But that's more like this is the person that has the most experience. They're the one that has the most merit to lead it. And mm -hmm. in a sense, it's kind of like a meritocracy. There was no one true leader at all times. It was the person that was best for the job in that situation. And the rest of us abdicated our authority of that person. Exactly. Well, that's, there's, especially in those situations, there's a lot of different ways you can choose your leader. If it's not a foregone conclusion that you've been the one hired for the job and that's right. going to be you leading it and you're in charge and you have all to say, but even that's a good skills of the leader is to have that self-awareness and know when there's someone having that oh god the word is escaping me right now it's not a but, meritocracy what's the word but just just basically that self-awareness know that you're not necessarily the best at everything on that trip totally. and being able to delegate to people humility that's the word it's oh, always yeah. the easiest words yeah humility yeah yeah totally. <laughs> simple word to remember but hard to remember yeah. when you need to say it mm -hmm. also willing to own up when you just don't have the skills yeah. like yeah. to say it yourself not just to recognize other people who have specific skills and where, where they lack but also mm -hmm. like for example me having to like be brave and tell people like i can't carry a canoe on my head like <laughs> Right. I've literally never done it. You don't want me to do it. <laughs> I got Drax stuck in my head now from Guardians of the Galaxy. Just like, I too am extremely humble. 
Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's an important thing to like know your limits and as a leader or as a participant, just knowing your limit. And there's always the ability to like push your limit in a safe, healthy situation. You don't have to like push and be like, I have a back injury. I'm going to try and carry my pack and my canoe and the food bag. Ryan's smirking because <laughs> he remembers me trying to do this. <laughs> I knew right away. <laughs> and afterwards, like, nah, I should not have done that. I should not have done that. <laughs> I'm going to sit here for 20 minutes. You guys go ahead. I have made a horrible mistake. <laughs> yeah. But like I was just saying, even then, yeah, there's people who are automatically in there, but sometimes the group chooses its leader. Yeah. If you have no defined leader on the group, sometimes it chooses itself. Sometimes it's the person that's most skilled. So everybody's like, okay, this person knows probably what they're talking about more than the rest of us. Mm-hmm. So let's pick him as our leader. And it's not even a necessarily a choice. It just happens. Everyone migrates towards one person on a trip. Totally. And it's just after a while, this person's all of a sudden the leader and nobody had a vote on it or anything. Mm-hmm. But that's another way. Sometimes it happens like, okay, we need to pick a leader, guys. Let's do it democratically. Let's what are the reasons why it like that was in the Donner party they had little elections and they described it to being as heated as the race for prime minister or president in those situations they were like okay i think i should be the leader and the other guy's like no hell no i should be the leader and everybody's like okay we like this guy more but yeah. Sometimes it comes into different things like, oh, this guy's more influential, but this person's more experienced and knows what we're talking about. But then there's some situations people just talk their way into it. That's the good thing about influences. They're like, oh, you guys should come with me. And you're like, oh, we don't realize you don't know what you're talking about, but we like the cut of your jib. So <laughs> this is starting to sound more and more like what happened in 2016. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And I've got like, I, uh, I've worked on television here and there. One of the shows that a lot of people know I was involved with is, uh, and still am, is uh, Merchants of the Wild on APTN. Watch it there, folks. But uh, in the first season, uh, it was just six kids from all over Canada dropped in the woods to learn from Indigenous knowledge holders from all over. And they were trying to survive out there in the woods. And it turned out like, a third of them to maybe half of them were city kids, very little experience in the outdoors. The other half, some experience. And then one had a ton of experience and she was the quietest one. She didn't really present herself in her uh, tryout video or anything like that as like, I'm a leader. I'm the one that knows a ton. She just like quietly was like, yeah, I grew up on a trap line. I helped my dad in the woods most of my life. And then when they got out there within like the first, I'd say week, there was a lot of that storming, a lot of storming. There was a lot of like <clears throat> conflicting personalities, a lot of aggression, good drama for TV, <laughs> but uh, not necessarily a healthy way to survive for 25 days in the wilderness. And by the end of that week, like everybody on that show, every cast member, every adventurer was like it's her she's the leader she's the one we're going to listen to she knows what she's doing and she was teaching them showing them supporting them but also just like getting shit done and not waiting she'll ask once kind of thing and then she just yeah. do it herself 
Mm-hmm. And it was she was the the clinchpin. She was the reason that that crew survived and succeeded as well as they did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that that I have a list here of the leadership power and how it's chosen, and that would fall probably under expert power, the person that shows they're the most competent in their skills, and they're chosen. Like, okay, the group understands and respects that this person has the most knowledge and understanding of what we're trying to accomplish. So that's one way that things are tend to be picked. There's legitimate power and it kind of refers to the authority given to you and appointed in a controlling agency. And that's democratic when you're like, okay, here's our options and have everyone vote on it. And then that's our leader. After that, you have a election style and, everyone votes and has that decision made there. Sometimes there's referent power is which I kind of spoke on before is how one leader kind of just comes out. Nobody really acknowledges it, but it just happens. And that kind of can work too. I feel like your example there was kind of mixed between the expert and the referent. So sometimes one just, it just happens naturally that people start following one person and don't even have a talk about it. And then there's stuff like reward power and coercive power, which I think kind of happened in 2016. Like you said, there was rewards promised and there was coercion mm-hmm. happened. So there's coercion, coercive power involves the threat of punishment and usually follows a failure reward power because the rewards like, oh, if you vote for me, I will give you this. It's it's what we see a lot with school elections. They're like, vote me for class president. I'll put another snack machine in the cafeteria. Yep. Vote for me. We'll have more dances. That's people say like, okay, let's have it. And sometimes it doesn't work because like, oh, I don't really care much about that stuff. I want other things. So that's where that would fail. But then if you get more people like, oh yeah, we really want that. We want more of this. We want, we want nap time. <laughs> so vote for me and you'll get more naps so yeah it's there's a lot of ways that can happen or else in a professional sense it's normally expert or if you're a parent taking your kids out it's just the way <laughs> that things have already been set out for you i am the parents you're the child you need to have your hand held the whole way and have everything really laid out depending on the age of your child so yeah, these things can go into play for any situation. So let's talk about some leadership tips and tricks. There's other things like challenge by choice, which I've seen employed with a lot of, especially kids, even adults too, but it's a, uh, you're not forced to do this activity, but if you want to, since you don't push people out of their comfort zone, I feel like it could be a double-edged sword sometimes because I've known other leaders who are like, you don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. You don't have to do it. So then the kid's like, okay, I'm not going to do it then. And, but you don't see any growth in those situations. You, you kind of let them know it's not the end of the world if you don't, but I really would like you to try this. It would be better if you did sort of thing. You don't just like push them down the hill on the toboggan saying, go, you're done. You don't. <laughs> no, only I'm having only- to talk with my father. 
but yeah, just letting them have that option. I don't know if you guys have some experience with that. I've seen Nikki bobbing her head up and down talking about that. So what's your experience with that? I just spilled the drink. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's very, it's very interesting because, you know, I work a lot with kids uh, and one of the biggest like disappointments for me, like an internal disappointment is when like I propose a challenge and a child is like, I don't want to do it. And because I know in my head that if they do, they're going to grow from it, especially yeah. when you add things onto the end of those challenges that kind of deconstruct or like debrief the lessons learned mm. and the things that um, didn't work so well or the things that did work well. So like for me, I mean, I this might be a controversial statement, but I truly believe you can get kids to do any challenge or within their means, um, if you have a good enough inspiration piece for it. So always in my mind, like that's the thing I tell my staff, that's the thing I've told people when I train them is like, first inspire, that's it. Yeah. And if they're inspired, then they're gonna do it. And like you can, whether or not, like sometimes even like a shelter building challenge, for instance, with kids, you know, it's like, okay, we're gonna make a shelter taller than Nikki and that's that's it it's like we're not teams going against each other or we're not or you know we're gonna pour water on your shelter while you sit in it mm -hmm. <laughs> and then telling stories around it and and I would say it's a form of manipulation but people are always operating under the belief that manipulation is always wrong or inherently wrong <laughs> manipulation is by default how leadership works it's it's a soft hand manipulation and it's not necessarily a cloak and dagger uh, Machiavellian, like I'm going to plot against them to make them do what I want. It's you're convincing people that what you're suggesting is a good course of action. And therefore that's a manipulation. Yeah. It's neutral manipulation by, by any, just like anything else is by nature neutral. Totally. It's how you use it or how you intend to use it. Yeah. Like, one of my favorite examples of what you're talking about is uh, I think it's Marty Simon down in the States. Uh, if I'm wrong, viewers, please correct me on that. Uh, in Deep Survival by Lawrence Gonzalez, they're talking about how he sits with a bunch of kids and tells them the story to build a fire by Jack London and how the guy dies at the end because he failed to take into consideration every stage of the fire while he's freezing to death in the Alaskan wilderness. And at the end of the story, he just simply says to the kids, I've fallen in a creek. I'm soaking wet. I'm going to die if I don't have a fire. I need you to light this fire for me. And the kids, bam, right into action, run all over the place, get all the kindling, get all the tinder, put it together, work together as a team, and give him a good fire they can toast their marshmallows on. Mm -hmm. And that's a great way to motivate and a great way to inspire them is by telling those stories. That's why we have stories is to motivate and inspire people. Mm -hmm. I've definitely done that with kids before. <laughs> totally. <laughs> yeah. I think that goes into the selling, like we were talking about mm -hmm. earlier, S making that decision, but also doing your best to sell that decision to everyone else. Cause I find it comes into play a lot with the fears of people. Right. Like I have a fear of drowning, so I'm not going to go swimming today. I'm not going to do this. Mm -hmm. I have a fear of heights, so I'm not going to go rock climbing. 
or anything like that. I'm feeling called out. Well, I was that way too. I would get halfway up the wall and look down and I was like, oh crap, what did I get myself into? But the more I did it, the more, the less it intimidated me. And the more I was like, okay, I want to do, I want to go a little more next time. I want to do the harder wall and do all that. And now when I go rock climb, I'm doing like cliffhanger moves. I'm jumping from one hold to the next sort of thing and clinging on with my fingers at the top. So that's so sketchy for me. I have complete faith in my belay system and my harness. And I understand the risks have been managed in a correct way. And I feel like that's part of the self-selling process as well as what they can do to mitigate your fears in a situation. And it's also so, partially desensitizing. Like mm-hmm. I've done this, I've gotten to this point, I can pass that threshold now. Nothing yeah. bad has happened. Mm-hmm. And it's a it's a healthy way to desensitize and learn to break your limits. Yeah. Push pushing edges. And you just gotta know the people that you're working with because if you push people too far, sometimes they will break. Yeah. And so you got to really know the people that you're working with. You know, if someone forced me like th- three years after my my like whitewater rafting accident to go on a river, I would have I would break. <laughs> yeah. Uh, gentle guidance. Mm-hmm. That's exactly that whole situation is just you don't want to push someone too far, but you also don't want to give them too easy of an out where there's like okay i'm not going to go whatsoever mm-hmm. i'm not going to push myself but yeah there's the situation where they just break and never want to try it ever again so it's it's like my whole analogy to pushing a kid down the hill in the toboggan you know just want to you're going now bye <laughs> and then they hit the ramp that someone had made that's been half melted and then they flip over and bruise their tailbone or something and they're like never again i never trust you ever again so that's that's where i found it working with kids especially it's comes down to the fears Mm -hmm. that they're unwilling to do but then you just gotta ease them into it so like leading by selling it well leading by example sometimes like i'll go right next to you i'll do it with you so i'm with you throughout this whole time so it's a compromise it's like what i do with kids who don't want to play games i say you got to play one round before you can decide like i don't want to play this game because you've never played it before yeah and they're like okay <laughs> what's that pick eater story from george carlin i don't like it how do you know you don't like it if you never had it mm-hmm. his response is like i saw it in a dream <laughs> i'm gonna it's use like, that the next thing i don't want to do and i with my young guy like i haven't he hasn't been living here for a few years he's with his ma out in alberta getting together with his ma's family and learning more about their culture but when he was living here with me back in 2018 he'd see me getting firewood put together and moving firewood to make a, a fire have a cook fire uh, i like cooking outside in the summer i don't like cooking in the house if i don't have to but uh he was like, Hey, like, I don't want to be involved in this. Like, fly, like, I'm not interested in helping you. I'm like, Hey, just help me a little bit. Let's see how strong you can be. Let's pick up that one piece of wood for me. And he carried it all on his own as a block. It was like a quarter round of firewood, carried it over. And was like, if I was hauling like a duffel bag with three like people in it, I'm not sure why I went with that description, but we're going to go with it. 
just the, the amount of weight of him trying to haul that thing to get over to the fire pit. And when he got there, I celebrated like, hey, good job, buddy. Do you want to try that again? He's like, yeah, I'm going to bring two. I'm like, okay, maybe one. Let's stick to the one for now. And by the end of the, like that week, he wanted to always move firewood. He was always motivated to do it again because he thought he was getting so strong and being so helpful. It's it's an easy way to teach without having to be like, you have to move firewood. You must do this. Do this now. Mm-hmm. It never it never worked with me as a kid, so I know it's not going to work with any kid that I'm raising because it doesn't work with me. I can't do it to somebody else. Yeah. Yeah, you got to bring a little psychology into it and use oh, those soft skills to get people into it because then you get all those times like i really appreciate that you did that for me because i would have never done it on my own sort of moments so there's a lot of situations like that and you just hope you don't get the broken situations where they're like i'm never doing that again why'd you make me do that yeah is there something you want to say nikki no she's just giggling away over there (laughs) So yeah, there's challenge by choice we just talked about. Mm -hmm. And then I think there's some other tips and tricks like having set plays for doing things. You need to be able to have options in your back pocket ready to go in any situation because sometimes your schedule for the day isn't going to go according to plan. Especially if someone gets injured, you need some way to be able to control the rest of the group and have situations under control. So they're not just all standing around freaking out. Like, okay, let's go play a game now. Let's go do our thing. And just any situation where you're like, oh, we can't do that anymore. It's the wind's picked up. Crap, we got to figure out a different game to play. So just having some activities and games set and ready to go. So yeah, competitions. And I think, especially with kids, it works well to ease into the competitions work on their competence a little bit first before you get make it into a competition because it sometimes gets carried away and does the same thing as ruining their confidence if you throw them in it's not about participation trophies or anything like that but just make it fun first make it enjoyable help them build those skills and gain a little confidence before you're like okay this person's the best at it and then gloating about it you don't want to get people like well fuck that I'm not yep. going to do that anymore. So yeah, mm-hmm. there's, it's always a finicky situation. So yeah. Um, and again, if it's at work, know your company guidelines, know what you're able to do. Like I've been working with camps before where we can't have knives. So whatsoever on trips oh, God, or yeah. back at camp. Whereas other camps, you teach them how to use it as a tool, you work them up to it, and then you're able to do some carving and learning to respect it and use it properly. So yeah, there's always guidelines, depending if it's a professional thing, if it's just a personal trip, then you're the one setting the guidelines, but give a good thought of what the expectations for the trip are and what I'm able to do, what risks I'm able to take and which ones I'm not. So, and then some other things for leaders, some other tips is network and attend conferences if you can, especially if you're a professional in it, 
attend leadership conferences, get certifications. In Ontario, there's conferences like COYO, as well as OWLS, which is a branch of COYO, Outdoor Wilderness Leadership Symposium. So, and then there's even the companies like Knowles National Outdoor Leadership School and Outward Bound. I don't know if you guys have some specific favorites that you like for your professional development. I really do enjoy uh, COEO. I think you mentioned that already. Uh, Council of Outdoor Educators yeah. of Ontario. It's yeah. a really cool kind of loose knit group of like professional, uh, private sector, public school, outdoor educators, all kind of working together and helping each other better their curriculum, better their leadership skills, uh, networking for workshops and classes they do big sessions ryan and i went out last year to their make peace with winter program which was awesome it was a phenomenal time uh sad that it had to be virtual this year but it was still pretty good uh for me as an outdoors instructor as a survival and bushcraft kind of guy the global bushcraft symposium has been eye-opening for me uh they've only had one so far well technically two there was one way back in the 90s over in sweden but then ryan and i the first time we really hung out we drove all the way out to alberta to attend the 2019 global bushcraft symposium and the next one was scheduled for 2021 but they've now moved it to uh 2022 over in great britain i'm not sure if it's in wales or scotland i think it's in wales um and those are great because you're sharing skills, but they're also bringing in some ph phenomenal educators who have been doing this stuff for like 60 years, 40 years, who really know, like Ryan and I were really, really excited to tune into, at least I was, and I think you were, uh, for Andre Francois Barbeau's presentation on risk assessment yeah. and like understanding mm -hmm. what is risk assessment and risk management. And like, I quote that all the time. I share the link. There's a YouTube video people can find of Andre Francois Bourbeau talking about it. Uh, and I share that link at least once a month to people, whether it's online or friends uh, elsewhere. Yeah, it was one of the first presentations of the week, but it ended up being probably my favorite yeah. out of all of them. It was very interactive with very visualized, yes. very active within his presentation. So it was a very good presentation on risk management a hundred percent and that's the kind of stuff where i like to learn is like i don't usually like those kind of lecture like formal kind of education presentation i'm not a ted talk listener kind of guy usually mm -hmm. it's more i'd rather sit around the fire and listen to people talk about things and andre kind of made it feel that way in a sense it didn't feel as you know lecture hall at a university kind of attitude which is something I really appreciate about how his leadership is as a teacher. But COEO, Global Bushcraft Symposium, uh, Knowles is phenomenal. The National Outdoor Leadership School, it's yeah. it's, it's what they do. Um, and a lot of outdoor schools that have been around for a long time, like Boulder Outdoor Survival School, they're kind of more um, hardcore. They're a little bit more like we are going to survive and you are going to suffer. But through that, people learn their limits and they learn their limitations but they also learn how to break through that they're a really great group that's where people like uh cody lundeen i believe matt graham one of the the second co-host of uh 
Dual Survival and a few other shows now. Uh, I believe that's where a lot of those kinds of people, a lot of the people in the West, uh, Western United States started their schools and started their education at Boss, at Boulder Outdoor Survival School. There's also uh, this great um, business that runs out of um, Hiawatha. It's called <laughs> Canadian Bushcraft. <laughs> we don't teach, and... well, I guess we do teach leadership skills. We don't focus <laughs> on it as much, though we should. Well, even part of leadership is those competence totally. skills, the hard totally. skills, and being confident in your outdoor skills, especially. Definitely. Even with survival, I think it's a bit of an overlooked skill 100%. in the outdoor field people are very dead set we're going on a canoe trip we're going to canoe we're going to cook we're going to set up tents but a lot of them are prepared for what happens if thing goes things go wrong if you lose your canoes down a river mm -hmm. if you lose pieces of gear it always helps to know what to do when shit hits the fan so i think everything can be linked into leadership in that sense because even places like koyo it's not completely leadership based and it's not completely competency based they come and they give you little tracking workshops and then they give you a keynote speaker on leadership or fun games to play with kids at school so it's an all-around meeting of educators networking and teaching other educators so 100 yeah. And leadership isn't just like necessarily the skills you develop um, to, you know, guide people. Yeah. It's the things you collect along the way, whether that is like knowledge and tracking or games that you can lead with people and whatever. It's all totally. part of leadership. There was a great program. I'm not sure they still do it, but uh, I think Andrew was heavily involved. Uh, Andrew McMartin with Pine Project, uh, The Art of Mentoring. Um, I only got to sit in for a little bit once. I didn't get to sit in for a lot of it, but I've heard a lot of good about art of mentoring. I'm, I'm not sure if they still run that or not. They don't in Ontario. Okay. Um, because uh, they were running it just as a logistical administrative nightmare to run. Right. So nobody was like, we'll take it on. <laughs> but it still happens around the world. Nice. It's fun. I've been there three times, four yeah. times as a a program leader for the adults nice. and um yeah some yeah <laughs> that's all i'll say about that <laughs> okay yeah uh there's a lot of great organizations there's a lot of great schools like we could mention a ton of bushcraft and survival schools and outdoor education schools but like for networking i think for me it's like those big rendezvous those big gatherings that happen um from global bushcraft symposium way back there is wood smoke uh which i so mad I couldn't make it to. Uh, it was run by Steve Watts, rest his soul, and Dave Westcott, and a, f a bunch of other people. But there's also like Rabbit Stick Rendezvous, Winter Count, um, Between the Rivers Gathering, which happens over uh, with a lot of my friends out west. Um, here in Ontario, there's Harvest Gathering. Uh, Harvest Gathering has been going since 2011. I was one of the original founders of it. Phenomenal organization that is still going strong. Um, with whole new leadership. Um, and if you want to learn about leadership and how to coordinate and facilitate huge groups like that, jump on board with one of those groups and help out, be one of the people that help out organize and coordinate those kind of things. Cause you're going to learn all about the frustration of administration 
it's very fun <laughs> um and yeah it's there's a lot of great groups out there that do phenomenal stuff in that direction and it's even not always a thing for professionals per se it's yeah. you could be a hobbyist who just wants to get a little more involved in the community mm-hmm. and wants to pick up your skills a little more in any way possible so totally. it's not always restricted to teachers and yeah. instructors so don't anyone feel afraid to join in on these games and conferences so. yeah this is not just for like if you want to start your own survival school which i don't recommend you do it is <laughs> a headache go work for somebody else and let them deal with all the nightmares but um mm-hmm. this is like leadership skills and le- like leadership in general is going to help you even on your solo trips it's going to help you know risk management risk assessment it's going to help you okay i'm going to need these things what are my limits what are my expectations it can help you if it's just you and a couple friends going out or it can help you if you're leading a group or you end up having to lead a group because of an emergency Um, Mm -hmm. leadership skills help in car crash scenes they help in uh, tornado or wildfire situations anywhere in there where you can help or be basically pushed into that leadership role it's best done when you already have these hard and soft skills programmed Mm -hmm. yeah and then okay so there's one more thing i wanted to kind of go over after this was since this was kind of inspired to me from reading about Shackleton and stuff, I have his book, Shackleton's Way, Leadership Lessons from the Great Antarctic Explorer. And there was quite a few lists in there, just some advice that they gave Mm. from the book. The book is by Margot Morel and Stephanie Caporell. So they have quite a few things. There's some keys to leadership is to model and inspire optimism like we've talked about is to always kind of look on the bright side of a trip at all times you know even when things are going downhill don't be the first one to crack don't even if you're sweating on the inside try not to show it as much so that's a way you keep everyone together because if the leader the most competent one is losing control then that kind of gives everyone else a quick slope to fall downhill yep. to follow. So it helps create unity and cohesiveness. So and there's some there's some real things to say about optimism and looking at that silver lining. There's a, a ton of experiments and tests and research done into like lucky people versus unlucky people, where mm-hmm. it's been proven like time and again those that have that perceive themselves as lucky end up having more success at stuff simply because they can see that optimistic edge and they can see opportunities one of the coolest ones i read was uh uh, they were told to count in a newspaper how many ads they found and they gave it to people that they that thought they were unlucky and other people that thought they were lucky and the lucky ones got about halfway through and came across this giant um, page where it just said, if you got this far and are reading this, you can stop the experiment now. Yeah. Whereas the unlucky ones counted out 46 ads and just kept going through the newspaper because they were just looking for their job. And it said, if you, on the page, it was a British experiment. It was like, if you read this, 
you get a thousand British pounds. And it's like, boom, like they immediately got reward for just having that optimistic. They were more open to check everything out and see everything. That kind of positive mental attitude can really make or break a situation. Yeah. Yeah. One of the other things on there was develop a clear and shared purpose mm -hmm. that goes with the goal setting and everything. I think if everyone has a sense of the shared purpose, they know they're working towards a common goal, then it really helps with that. You don't have people with conflicting interests quite as much on a trip like that. So, and that was part of why Shackleton selected his crew because they all shared common goals and purposes for their lives. Nice. So, but sometimes you have to create that yourself as a leader and mm -hmm. set the framework for those sorts of situations. So you're, you're not necessarily, unless you're an expedition leader, you're not going to be picking your crew that comes with you. You're going to be assigned right. to having that crew right? or else you're just with your buddies and you already have common goals and purposes. So, yeah. yeah. And then another was build unity and commitment within the team. So it's about just working hard and working together. A big thing cohesion. is always having a cohesive experience. It's never wanting to be an us versus them sort of situation. Yeah. You're a team. You don't want to be a couple different teams within one team. Yeah. Clicking like click attitude is never beneficial. Yeah. So it's, it's always good if you have that shared love of each other and respect and wanting to push each other. And that goes all with create a plan, create an alternate plan, be flexible. Mm -hmm. Like I said before, it's not always going to be smooth sailing, just one linear track. You'll always have bumps here, bumps there. You'll always have to freestyle as things come up. Totally. So. And then you got to make tough decisions as an outdoor leader. It's never going to be easy, but like I said, with practicing your skills, it becomes a little more easier to say no if you have an issue saying no, and it becomes easier to say yes if you have a problem saying yes mm -hmm. to people and just like, no, I'm not going to do that. No problem with authority doing any of that stuff. And that goes along with like crisis leadership. You got to pursue engaging distractions for those situations. You got to do something to keep everyone's mind off it, play games, work together, do some team building exercises. That's a big thing for starting off and breaking that ice. That's why normally a lot of the times you see when they're like, okay, everybody have first group together, let's play some icebreaker games. Mm -hmm. So it's all about just, okay, let's get to know each other, get each other some stories together. So yeah. You want to create a culture within your team. You want people to share their milk per se. That was one of the things from the book was that on their trip to Elephant Island, they had very low rations. And then one of the times it was Green Street from the crew spilled his milk all over the place. And without saying a word, everyone else in his boat reached over and poured a little few drops into his glass until he had his own full glass as well and they all had equal they didn't say anything about it but it's not uh oh too bad so sad that's your issue not mine sounds like an issue not an ish me so 
yeah, it's all about building that cohesion and being together. And even in crisis, especially celebrating anything you can. Some people are always like, nope, we haven't reached our goal yet. So there's no time to celebrate. You see that with football teams all the time. The only goal is that championship and we will not celebrate until we get there. And then you get other teams who are like, we're going to celebrate every little win along the way. We're not going to just be sticks up the butt, not having any fun until we get that re reach that goal. Cause sometimes you might not even reach that goal, but it's all about keeping that optimism alive and keeping a good spirit about you. So it's always good to find those little small wins no um, matter what they may be totally and then one last thing is diffuse conflict immediately in any yeah. crisis don't let it be like oh it'll work itself out they'll take care of it especially I'm, i was going to say especially with kids but again with adults <laughs> very they much. act very much like children in a lot of times so it depends on a per group basis mm -hmm. to take care of it and snuff it out as it happens so, so I don't know if you guys had any last things you wanted to add. I think one real like tangible skill that we're, I guess it's kind of intangible. One of the best skills I've learned as a, in a situation of leadership is to just be open and listen, like be yeah. more intuitive that a concept of empathy you're talking about earlier be intuitive listen to what's being going what's being said but also what's not being said like if you're noticing tension try to nip that in the bud and you're going to notice it in your guts before you actually hear the tension happen yeah. and so trying to figure out how to learn how to nip that in the bud or how to deal with those things coming along by trusting your gut and listening to your gut mm -hmm. and listen to others of course yeah yeah the best leaders always are able to use their team to the best of their capabilities. 100%. They don't try to force them into a position they weren't designed for that they're not good at. It's one thing to push someone out of their comfort zone to be able to build their other skills. But in a lot of situations, you want to be able to use everyone to the best of their ability and not yeah. the way you expect them all to be. I know you're good at this one thing, but let's do this instead so it's totally. it's always a fluctuating situation totally yeah anything you want to throw in there nikki no <laughs> slowly turning on the microphone and get set up to be like, i wanted no. it to be dramatic <laughs> dun, dun, dun. no yeah all right basically as a leader you want to cultivate a sense of compassion and responsibility for others you have a bigger impact than you might realize on these people especially mm -hmm. kids or adults that have come looking to you for guidance so you never know which little thing you can do where at the end of the trip is like that was the greatest experience of my life i don't get this opportunity very often or else at the end of the trip they could be like I never want to see you again. You have been the worst influence in my life. <laughs> so it depends which side you want to be on. Sometimes like you hear people all the say, I don't want to be liked. I'm the leader. 
it's like sometimes as a leader, you're putting yourself out there for criticism, but at the same time, people should be able to respect your decisions and understand your decisions at the end of the day, mm -hmm. even if it's not something would have picked themselves, but totally. it's always difficult being a leader. Yeah. It's one of those like heavy is a head that wears the crown kind of thing. Yeah. Well, that was, is that everything we got to say? Anything from Nikki? No. No. I'm <laughs> just going to keep asking you questions to have you lean in just to say no every time. It's great. Yeah, I think that's a good intro without muddling things yeah. too much and having a bit of a discussion. So and we we're can... definitely going to be going back to revisit these again and yeah. talk about more detailed things like who are our inspirations of leadership and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And of course, like the struggles for some groups or some um, communities to lead in the larger spectrum like women of color uh, women people of color women of color uh those in the lgbtq plus spectrum those challenges that they deal with as leaders we'll be talking on that later uh in in later episodes simply because frankly as far as i'm aware we're all three of us are cis hetero white or white passing people and only one of us is a woman not a huge diverse group to talk about the struggles of certain or, uh, certain communities but uh, we'll be definitely touching on that with the right guests very soon i'm just waiting to hear back from a few of them to help schedule and, and uh, organize those episodes so don't worry folks if you feel like we're being too male-centric or by or too focused on the binary we're working on that don't worry this is not the only time we're gonna be talking about this and we're gonna be diving into much more later but yeah there's a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we've been trying to get you to talk. But yeah. What? <laughs> I can, are you going to have anything no. to say? No. No, I no. don't. No, I don't. I'm, I'm mad. <laughs> <laughs> I want to see Mad Nikki one of these days. I've seen annoyed seen Nikki. Mad Nikki. I've seen annoyed Nikki. I've seen irritated Nikki. I haven't seen about to kill somebody, Nikki. I want to see that. Did you see her Instagram stories earlier? No, I haven't been on social media all day. <laughs> it was about, we were, Caleb and I were talking at length oh, about it this okay. morning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know what you're talking about now. Anyways, thank you, Ryan. This was phenomenal. This was a badass episode. A great way to start off this whole discussion. It's really good to get like the basics and the introduction of it, but also the nitty gritty, fine detail perspectives and concepts within leadership. This is something that's important. As we said again and again, like this is important for everybody, not just like the A type personality mm -hmm. to have. So, yeah. yeah Thanks, and, guys. And don't just stop here. It's, finding any resource you can to keep on working on these skills and totally. finding out more about how to involve yourself in the situation more. Totally. Yeah. Well, thanks guys. Thank you for having me. Have yourselves a good day. <laughs>